0: Until my devil gets in
1: my ear. And ivory <laughs> live together in perfect harmony because the world is black, the <laughs> world is white. It turns by day and then by night. Since she's got jungle fever, <laughs> he's got jungle fever. They got jungle fever. We're
2: in love! Welcome to Africa's Lit. Good day. This is Africa's Lit, your source for African literature in Hong Kong. I'm your host, Daniela, and I want to say welcome. I'm broadcasting live from Eaton Hotel in Jordan, Hong Kong. That's 380 Nathan Road. Uh, The last time you heard from me, I spoke to you about August Town, the story of Rastafari set in Jamaica. But tonight, we're staying in the diaspora. However, we are into the French Antilles. We are speaking about Fanon. You heard me. Fanon, France Fanon. His story, his novel, his thesis, Black Skin, White Masks. This Work is Observing the Black Man's Plight in a White World.
3: world. world. world.
2: world. France Fanon was born in the French Antilles. Now, I'm not going to lie. It took me a good minute to wrap my head around what that was and where it was. Uh, for the most part, for the rest of you out there who, uh, like me, are not fully aware, um, the French Antilles is about eight territories under French sovereignty in the Caribbean, the most popular islands being Guadeloupe and Martinique. In black skin white masks, Fanon studies and refers to Martinicans in his attempt to liberate black men from themselves. So, what does that really mean? In the past couple of months, now in 2020, our systems, our governments have been shaken up with a wake up call as to what racism means, white supremacy means, and it's been made clear to many who tried to keep their heads in the sand about our systems of governance um, that. These very systems, these very groups that are leaders, everything is kind of built up on racism. Now, I don't mean the type of racism where you call someone names um, and the, where groups are segregated, although that still exists, but racism in that there are disproportionate numbers of Black people and other people of color in jail, uh, disproportionate numbers of Black people being charged with crimes that other groups are not being charged with? Recently, the Ontario Human Rights Council in Canada released a report stating this. The study found that although Black people make up only 8.8% of Toronto's population, they represent almost 32% of people charged. Black people represent 38% of people charged with marijuana offences, despite conviction rates and studies showing they use cannabis at similar rates to white people. Black people represented 35.2% of of out-of-sight driving crimes, such as not having a license on them or insurance, basically things that an officer can't know before stopping the driver because they are out of sight. This suggests other motives for the stop. I played for you Michael Kiwanuka's I'm a Black Man in a White World to open up this episode, and that's pretty much what's being said here. We live in a world in which white people have the power. It's a white world. We're a reflection of how we're seen in the world, how people react to us, how we're treated. All this plays into our psyche, and that's everyone. Black people, white people, other people of color, non-white people. Um, that plays into our psyche and, and as such, it plays into who we are and who we want to be. Fanon believed that black men desire, himself included, to be white. Hmm. Some as a, a dream, basically, I guess life is easier. But others because it's the only way to function in this world. And it's it's a s- subconscious desire. It's... It's a desire because we need to be what we see. So I imagine a child. This child learns to be a part of society by being a part of society. By observing and watching. We know we've seen children. They mimic things that we do. And if society is built as white, then the only thing to be is white you have to think of a
0: west indian intellectual formed very much in relation to france with a french education coming to paris expecting to be accepted who comes sharply up against metropolitan racism and this is not just in how people treat him and so on but it's actually in how they look at him he sees himself being seen by a french child and its mother and this look from the place of the other completely destroys him, because what it destroys is this false, what Fanon would call depersonalized self, the colonial self, which has been built up in sort of imitation of the colonizer over many years. It fractures.
2: So Franz Fanon used his experiences and those of his subjects to describe the psychology of Black men. He uses language, as a prime example, we spoke about this at length in our book club meeting. Thank you, James, for moderating. So Emma, one of our book club, one of our the members of the club, uh, she spoke a bit about two purposes of language. One being functional, so to aid in communication. And Lovemore, another member, he seconded that, adding that language consists of a transmitter and a receiver in which decoding is necessary in order to communicate effectively. The second purpose that Emma brought up that language has is a social is a social dimension of language. It's what we use to determine social class, to make assumptions of people, and to create our identity.
1: How would it end? Ain't got a friend. My only sin is in my skin. What did I do to be so black and blue?
2: Welcome back. This is Africa's Lit. Hong Kong's African Literature Book Club on air. You just heard Louis Armstrong with Black and Blue, a tribute to Fats Waller's original song of the same name. Today, we're discussing Black Skin, White Masks by Frantz Fanon. Let's talk language. I can think of a couple of people, maybe more, who moved away for a couple of years, school, work, family. Now, they go somewhere where, uh, let's say the English has another accent, all right? Uh, they come back and they've developed this accent after just, a, you know, a short trip. It's like me leaving Canada to come to Hong Kong for, you know, a few years, going back to Canada and then speaking with an accent of some sort? Um, yeah. Or when they return, they kind of just don't really know what's up anymore but not like they're out of it uh, out of you know the circle it's more like they they're now above this the, the circle they're outside the circle looking down on the circle what is what's up with that right so franz Fanon brought that up in his in his chapter on language and he spoke at length about people who leave home from metropolitan France and return not wanting to speak their native French or Creole or whatever the case may be. Think about this. Let's say you meet a white Frenchman who speaks English but has an accent, you know, and in hearing him speak, right? In general, we empathize and even give him the benefit of the doubt of coming from another culture, uh, using another language. And so his accent isn't anything we're really going to focus on. Now, let's imagine a black French man, same accent. Does anything change? Okay, what about a Nigerian black man, a South Asian man, a Chinese man? All speaking English, but with different accents. How do you internalize that? How do you respond to these to these people? France Fanon said, native speakers, and I'm gonna put myself in this, I'm sure I'm guilty. We native English speakers dumb down our language for non-white people all the time. But we don't dumb it down for white people for white people, even though they are also speaking with a, like, an accent. I don't want to even say that, even though they are also have also learned English as a second language. So this dumbing down of the language happens to people from countries that are not of the West, right? Why is that? It's insulting, really. Ill will or not, it says to that person to stay where they are. It imprisons him and it perpetuates a status of inferiority. Black men have been stripped of their indigenous cultures and must prove their worth by not only speaking a colonial language, but by doing so in an exact manner as his oppressor. George Lamming is a novelist, an essayist, and a poet from the Caribbean island of Barbados. He is a prominent figure in Caribbean literature. He was, he's been championed by Jean-Paul Sartre, a man who Fanon references time and again. And in this clip, he speaks on his experiences moving to England as a young man.
4: The English novel has always been a middle-class affair, with one or two exceptions. It's written by middle-class people, read by middle-class people. And as you know, the language of the middle class is a strange invention. It is always three or four moves from the mechanics of, of feeling. Yeah. Sometimes you're not even clear where the voice is that is producing yeah. the noise, you see. This has had an effect on the language that the people use. It's the same thing in the theater. You get a little actor who comes from some, some county or province and something, he gets into the West End, and then he has to do strange things with his tongue if he's going to get a job. He has to rub out all the rhythm and the richness of speech wherever he came from. This has been worming its way through all creative expression in English literature for a long time.
2: Uh, did anyone else notice George Lamming's non-existent Bayesian accent? Do you know what a Bajan accent sounds like? It, I love hearing it. It is so unique. But his is gone. And he said it. It's rubbed out. Rub out what does not sound right. Here's the thing. My dad moved to Canada from the Caribbean as a young man, just like George Lamming. Although from Grenada, George Lamming, Barbados. The thing is, there's no denying that when you hear my dad speak, he has a Caribbean accent. His Grenadian accent is just as tick as when he landed. So it's actually, for me, really interesting to compare the two. A man who moved to Canada, set up his life, married an Italian woman, had four children, and another who moved to England, who in his career analyzes language, uses it as his form of expressing his experience, and perhaps as such, has put in a lot of effort to reduce his own accent in order to fit in as easily as possible. That's Nina Simone singing, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. We're discussing Frantz Fanon's Black Skin, White Masks thesis, his novel, and we brought up the topic of language. It was uh, one of the ways he was able to best describe the Black man's psyche was in how language is used, how Black man's indigenous language was taken away and how black men are working towards perfecting even the language of their colonizer. We have author Guji Watyongo, uh, who wrote Grain of Wheat, one of the books we read in, at the beginning of the book, uh, Africa Centre Book Club. He speaks about language and intellect, and here's what he had to say.
5: Every person, whether in Africa or Europe, has a right to their mother tongue or to the language of their culture. And it doesn't matter if that language is spoken by only five people. Those five people have a right to their language and to the intellectual production of ideas in their language. But those languages can then relate to other languages through translations or through adding other languages to what one already has. The problem with Africa and the colon, the former colonized as a whole, is that the whole intellectual community operates within European languages. In other, in other, the entire intellectual production of ideas is in foreign languages or in European languages, okay? And the majority of African people, uh, working people, the farmers, the, the majority speak African languages. So African languages, they are there. African languages are spoken by the majority of the people, but the intellectual, Production, you know, yes. or rather the language of power I happen to be European languages.
2: So his point on what makes an intellect is something I haven't really considered before. It goes back to us dumbing down our choice of words for people coming from non-colonial countries. There is another author's point of view that I wanted to share with you. Throughout the novel, Fanon references Aimé Césaire, a Caribbean Francophone author and poet. And here, Mr. César, in French, mind you, I'm going to do my best to translate, uh, speaks about how he interprets Creole, Creole language, which is a mix of Indigenous African languages and French
0: One
2: time, when I said in front of General de Gaulle that our history started in the hold of the slave ships, there were apparently some Martinique inhabitants and similar people who were totally hurt, totally offended. But that's the first fact. If someone should be ashamed, it's those that did the trading, not those who endured the trading. How can we understand Martinique society if we don't take into account that it's a colonial and racist society? How can we understand Martinique language, the real Martinique language, Creole, If we don't take into account that it's a language that was made with French words or pieces of French words, but that were restored by throats, according to the implacable, otherwise said, if we don't want to remain on the surface of things, well, then we have to come back to the original fact, which is that we're a mix, of course, but that we're Africans from the diaspora. So, you can't have one without the other. There's no Creole without French. What does that say about the Black men and women who, whose Creole forms their identity? There is no present them. They're, they're not here without the history of colonial France. Let's move on to relationships. Fanon's second chapter discusses the disgust and fear that Black women have towards Black men, referencing, so Fanon referenced just one woman, Mayot Capesial. In our book club meeting, we all agreed that this was a chapter that needed far more research, as it was two-dimensional, lacked research, and that it grouped all Black women in one negrophobic group. As for the Black man and his love for white women, well that's the next chapter do any of you know what it
0: is like not being thought of as attractive i can't believe you ever believe that drew is
1: the kind of shit you buy into okay i was always the darkest one in my class and i know you know what i'm talking about all the guys ran after the light-skinned girls with long straight hair and that left me out and it's that same kind of thinking that leaves us out when it comes to white women mm-hmm. now back in the day brothers would get sisters that look like you drew and you fear you know but now, light skin ain't even good enough. Today, Boy. brothers are going for the gusto, I mean the real McCoy. That's why Flipper's gone. White girls got it made. This, the whole thing, everything
2: that we've been doing I and mean, everything in a society, we just keep on doing the same thing over Perpetuate. and over. Yes. Keep on telling ourselves, negating ourselves, our own value. Look at the brothers who are successful. Look at them. Most of the brothers who have made it got white women on their arms, okay? In order to go up that little ladder to success, it seems like you've got to have Miss Thang mm-hmm. on your Why? arm. Mm-hmm. Their responsibility mm-hmm. level isn't the same That's as ours. The it's not a question of responsibility. It's just a fundamental disrespect, disrespect yes, it is for women. I mean, I don't care the best I'm man. Hard to be the same. And so I wonder whether I'm any different from the rest. And if I marry you, a European woman, I I wonder whether I won't look as though I'm stating that not only do I despise women of my own race, but drawn by the desire for white flesh that has been off limits to us blacks since the white man rules the world, I am unconsciously endeavoring to take my revenge on the European female for everything her ancestors have inflicted on my people throughout the centuries."
3: It, love had nothing to do with this family, right? You know the song Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? In this case, nothing. Uh, speak to us about that because I know a lot of black women uh, are, are, on, are on edge about it and upset about it, but they need to understand the psychology behind the trauma and the abuse and that this is an addiction, this is a, dece- a dis and not something that was,
6: if you will, a choice. It's almost like a sexual addiction right so so you know we have subconscious things that we do subconsciously and things that we do consciously right we all agree to that mm-hmm. uh, but when you look at the eroticized rage uh and, and often in black men uh, and, and as you pointed out athletes uh you know oftentimes we and i did well we state white women or of lighter complexion not because we love them not because we love them, it's because subconsciously the anger, the pain, the hurt, the trauma that we endured in our life and have dealt with it yet, and the rage that we have. And we feel through a sexual encounter because it's it's not love, it's a sexual encounter that will get our power back. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I say it just in that simplistic way, folks hopefully can understand
2: we had spike lee's jungle fever followed by an excerpt from the novel and lastly a clip of an interview with dr matthew knowles beyonce Knowles' father in that interview dr knowles discusses his own personal experience with racism and growing up with a self-hating black mother who threatens him should he bring home a nappy-headed girl according to him Black men choosing white women may not be about climbing the ladder of white success, as suggested by the women in the jungle fever scene, but perhaps a deep psychological expression. Listen, however, to Dr. Umar Ifatunde, a doctor of clinical psychology specializing in African-American children. Here he is in an interview on The Breakfast Club, speaking on international, oh, sorry, interracial relationships.
3: Marriage is a political decision. Who you marry tells me who you are. When you marry a woman, you don't just marry her. You marry her culture. You marry her community. You marry her people. You understand? So when a black man marries a white woman, he's making several clear uh, points and messages he's sending out to his own people because there's no greater symbol of your loyalty to your struggle than to marry a sister who shares that struggle you're telling me right if my my son my black son yes brings home a white girl because how old is he not for nothing he's 13. yes not for nothing he we live in the area that is predominantly white okay reason why better school system better education i got a lot safer so if he brings home a white girl i should be like son
2: We need to have a conversation.
3: You shouldn't date her. You should date a black person. You have to teach your son loyalty to his community. Mm. European Jews do it arabs do it chinese do it easy we're the only people who feel anxious and ambivalent about telling our black boys that you better love and marry a black woman and you know why we feel ambivalent because all of us have been conditioned by church envy to be colorblind we're constantly told over and over again that it is wrong to be for yourself before you are for anyone else and that's why africans See, I are don't, dead last there's nothing wrong with being loyal to yourself there's nothing wrong being loyal to yourself, but yes, it's also sir. who you love. I can't tell my son who he connects with better. Can that white woman ever understand your son's struggle? No. Thank you. So why would you want him to spend the rest of his life with a woman who can never understand how he feels when the New York City Police Department pulls him over? Dr.
5: Uma, you You better. need
3: a woman who can feel you. And the only woman on earth who can understand the black man is the black woman. And that's why I cannot respect... A black man who is not committed to a black woman. That's the greatest symbol of pride in self.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Africa's Lit. I'm your host, Daniela. Today we are talking about France Fanon's black skin, white masks. France Fanon wrote this thesis, which Is now a novel and it looks into the psyche of black men. We discussed language as one way in which black men see themselves and how it can turn against them. And we briefly touched on interracial relationships. So we're just wrapping up the idea of interracial relationships. Um, He does, Fanon brings up the fetishized black man later on in his thesis. But I'll leave that for you to read. For the most part, Fanon describes the lived experiences of the Black men, his own and others. Again, this novel serves as a study into the psyche of Black men. Within the past few years, the term generational trauma has become a recognized status in mental health. Psychologists are discovering genetic changes in people whose lineage suffered pain, depression, and oppression. Franz Fanon may not have been conducting his studies based on generational trauma, but the emphasis he made on the psychological damage Black men experience isn't far-fetched. He considers Black men to be slaves to their appearance. Not only in the use of language, but even in the professional field. And we saw this in Tae Selassie's Ghana Must Go. Black men have no room for error. When Kweku Sai, the uh, top surgeon in a hospital, makes a surgical error, he loses his job. You see, the arrival of Europeans wasn't an initiation into a new culture, it was colonization. It was completely foreign. Black people's experiences were white clean, except in relation to their oppressors. This led to a psychological dependence and ultimately psychological inferiority. The problem with colonization is the intersection of historical and objective conditions, but also man's attitude towards these conditions. How can man be expected to regain a sense of self as long as he's considered less than others. An endless suffering of being not yet white, but no longer completely black. Fanon touched on Langston Hughes's poem, The Negro Speaks of Rivers, which has been dissected by scholars, and even at the Africa Centre. Uh, we recently had a race relations talk centred on the civil rights movement and brought up that poem and discussed it. According to LitCharts.com, The Negro Speaks of River traces Black history from the beginning of human civilization to the present, encompassing both triumphs, like the construction of the Egyptian pyramids, and horrors, like American slavery. The poem argues that the Black soul has incorporated all of this historical experience and in the process has become deep. The poem thus suggests that Black cultural identity is continuous, that it stretches across the violence and displacement of slavery to connect us with the past, and that Black people have made vital yet often neglected contributions to human civilization. Here is Gary Bartz singing the tune.
0: song Was inspired by a poem written by Langston Hughes. I'm sure most of you have heard of Langston Hughes. And he wrote a poem about rivers. And we call this song I've known rivers.
3: While
2: we're listening to Jazz, I wanted to add a little bit more information here. Some a bit of some back history. Jean-Paul Sartre, esteemed French philosopher and novelist referenced many times over in Black Skin, White Masks, wrote, we are delivered from the internal life for everything is outside, everything, even ourselves, outside, in the world, among others. It is not in some hiding place that we will discover ourselves. It is on the road, in the town, in the midst of the crowd, a thing among things, a human among humans. Sartre's philosophy spoke on freedom and individuality, and this quote speaks to the idea of being who we are in relation to others. This, in essence, is Fanon's black skin, white masks. Now, Jean Paul Sartre found his philosophy realized in jazz music. He acknowledges the song Some of These Days in his novel La Nausea. In that novel, a man uses jazz and the song, Some of These Days in particular, to ground himself in reality.
1: Two sweethearts in a country town, the neighbors say, lived happily the whole day long, until one day he told her he must go away. She wondered then what could be wrong He said, you know it's true, I love you best of all And yet it's best that we should part Just as he went away They heard his girlie say Though it most broke her heart Some of these days You'll miss me, honey Some of these days, you're going to feel so lonely. You'll miss my hugging, you'll miss my kissing, you'll miss me, honey, when you go away. Let you have your way And when you leave
2: Now I know you listen to Africa's Lit because I play some really great music and I like to introduce music to you of the era, of the locale, the country, the city, the continent of where the stories that we read come from. So I know you're probably wondering where is that French Antillean music, Daniela? It's coming. Not on today's episode, but I will play for you some French Antillean music, some some biguin, some guoca that's going to come in another episode, so please stay tuned. Please follow me on Instagram at africas.lit for more details on where you can get your fix of some French Antillean music from the 50s. So back to France Fanon's Black Skin, White Masks. I just played for you Ethel Waters, Some of These Days, a jazz tribute to Jean Paul Sartre, a philosopher who France Fanon quoted and referenced many times in his book black skin white masks there is so much more to this novel that is worth reading and reflecting on this book was published in 1952 but has been relevant throughout its time from scholars to critics authors to other books to celebrities fanon's observations are definitely needs for discussion I invite you to find yourself a copy and see what your role is in this world, in your society, in the lives of black and white people. Franz Fanon's thesis aimed to recognize the flaws in our environment, not in man himself. His work was an effort towards understanding the psychology of the black man in order to empathize with how he sees himself in the world, which is how we see him. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Africa's Lit. Next episode, I'll be discussing Told by Starlight in Chad. Please find me on Instagram at africas.lit for more details. Follow at Africa Center HK for a positive outlook on what Black people are doing here in Hong Kong. And at Eaton HK for uplifting programming and events happening at their hotel, 380 Nathan Road in Jordan. That's where I am, and I'm uplifting, ain't I? On today's episode, you heard music by Michael Kiwanuka, I'm a Black Man in a White World, Louis Armstrong, Black and Blue, Nina Simone, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free, Elemoto, Black Man, Gary Bartz, I've Known Rivers, and Ethel Waters, Some of These Days. I am leaving you now with Maya Angelou's poem, The Mask. Until next time, peace!
0: I have uh, written a poem for a woman who rides a bus in New York City. She's a maid. She has two shopping bags. When the bus stops abruptly, she laughs. If the bus stops slowly, she laughs. If the bus picks up someone, she laughs. If the bus misses someone, she (laughs) So I watched her for about nine months. I thought, "Mm, hmm, uh-huh. Now, if you don't know black features, you may think she's laughing, but she wasn't laughing. She was simply extending her lips and making a sound. (laughs) I said, oh, I see. That's that survival apparatus. Now, let me write about that to honor this woman who helps us to survive by her very survival. Miss Rosie, through your destruction I stand up. So I used the poem with Mr. Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem, Masks, and my own poem for old black men. Mr. Dunbar wrote Masks in 1892. We wear the mask that grins and lies it shades our cheeks and hides our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts, we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? And they let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but all. Oh. Our tears to thee from tortured souls arise and we sing, Hey, baby, we sing, Hey. But, oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile, but let the world think otherwise. We wear the mask. When I think about myself, <laughs> I almost laugh myself to death. My life has been one great big joke. A dance that's walked, a song was spoke. I laugh so hard, (laughs) I almost choke when I think about myself. Seventy years in these folks' world, the child I works for calls me girl. I say, (laughs) yes ma'am, for working's sake. I'm too proud to bend and too poor to break. So I laugh until my stomach ache when I think about myself. My folks can make me split my side. I laugh so hard (laughs) I nearly died. The tales they tell sound just like lying. They grow the fruit but eat the (laughs) rind. I laugh. (laughs) until I start to cry when I think about myself and my folks and the little children. My fathers sit on benches. Their flesh count every plank. The slats leave dents of darkness deep in their withered flank. And they nod like broken candles, all waxed and burnt, profound. They say, but sugar, it was our submission That made your world go round. There in those pleated faces I see the auction block, the chains and slavery's coffles, the whip and lash and stock. My father's speaking voices that shred my fact and sound. They say, but sugar, it was our submission. And that made your world go round. They laughed to shield their crying. They shuffled through their dreams. They step and fetch to country and wrote the blues in screams. I understand their meaning. It could and did derive from living on the ledge of death. They kept my race alive by wearing the mask.) <laughs>